Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with High Performance Manager at Port Adelaide Football Club, Darren Burgess. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. I wanted this episode to be about recovery and recovery methods, so I thought Darren Burgess was the perfect guy because obviously he's worked in team sports with the Australian football team, Port Adelaide and Liverpool. And with football and Aussie rules, there's obviously a massive demand on the players, so recovery is always going to be key. In this episode, we discuss HRV, uh, heart rate recovery, which I know Darren is publishing some research on. And Darren also goes into a lot of detail on his use of wellness questionnaires and his protocols for monitoring neuromuscular fatigue before training. Just before we get onto the chat with Darren, just want to say if you want to keep up with everything that's going on with the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at PaceyPerform. You can also catch all episodes or previous episodes on PaceyPerformance.co.uk and you can download the Podomatic app if you are not an iTunes listener and you can listen on the go via the app. And please, if you've got any feedback whatsoever, good or bad, even to the smallest detail that you think the music I'm using is crap, please get in touch. And here is the interview with Darren. Hi guys, thanks for tuning into the Pace Performance Podcast. Uh, again, coming from overseas today uh, in Darren Burgess. Um, sticking his name in Google, it's the first person who actually comes up with his... Um, with a bit of a guide how much he's earning, so big time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just before we get into the chat, do you want to give us a, a little introduction about your education, your background? Yeah, thanks for that introduction. <laughs> uh, don't believe everything you read. No, um, I won't. I won't. No, no we. Uh, I started. Uh, graduated with an undergraduate, uh, obviously in um, in sports science, uh, in sort of the early mid nineties, and then um, uh, did some lecturing sort of full-time while I was personal training and delivering pizzas and all that stuff that, that kind of everybody has to do in this industry to get by. And then um, uh, my first sort of job in the in the performance industry was with the Sydney Swans part-time there and then in AFL uh, and then Parramatta Power in the, in the National Australian Soccer League. Um, uh, then moved down to uh, into AFL with Port Adelaide as as a head fitness coach and uh from there went to the australian soccer team for a few years um uh and then after the world cup in 2010 um went over to liverpool for for two and a half years um to be to be their head of fitness and conditioning and and uh about two years ago today actually i um i came back to port adelaide in the afl to be uh to be high, high performance manager here so so that's that's sort of the the job breakdown. In, in the interim, I, I managed to get a PhD, which was a three-year thing that took me about nine years. So, um, uh, yeah, that's that's my history. I've got uh, a bunch of players just arriving in the gym. So if you hear some background noise, that's them poking fun at me for for hiding myself away in the office. So just just give you guys a warning. I'm wearing your Skype headset. I'm wearing my Skype headset. More importantly, wearing my Skype headset. That's right. <laughs> so just a little bit more. What, what was your PhD on and where was it from? I was from Australian Catholic University where, where I did some lecturing uh, uh, post-degree. And then uh, it, it was on – it was called Talent Development um, 
the application of technology to talent development in team sports. So I, I completed four studies, um, all of which were more around uh, how do we use predominantly GPS technology to identify talent in, in mainly soccer and um, or, or football, I should say, and, and AFL. Nice. No, I just want to get on to um, a little bit about your, your days at Liverpool. Uh, I put on the, the things that I'd fired across to you, a bit of a uh, kind of focus a bit on recovery, but um, really basic question, how did you manage the players in week to week, depending on your um, whether you have one game or two games? I don't know if it differs in AFL, whether you have multiple game weeks, but um, just get your insight into how you manage that in, in football at Liverpool. Yeah, we, we played in the Europa League, Rob. So we, we were playing most weeks, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. So we'd often get, get back into Liverpool at two or three in the morning on a Friday morning. Um, and then uh, the players would come back in at about 11 o'clock, do some on-pitch and, and hydro recovery. So um, uh, just a really light jog and stretch and some dynamic flexibility and, you know, some dribbling balls through cones and really basic stuff, basic movement patterns, um, as well as get them in the pool and, uh, and again, same sort of thing, have a bit of a stretch and, and um, work on some, some dynamic flexibility in there. And then uh, Saturday they would come in and do a light, a really light session leading into the Sunday. We'd have a look at some markers of fatigue, um, CK and some, some jump scores and, and some range of motion scores, you know, some physio screening type scores um, and, and obviously we had a massive focus in, in nutrition, particularly straight after the game in, in, in protein, um, you know, some refueling that way. So how did that differ to your one game a week? What was your... What yeah, it, one game a week was we were a little bit more lax um, on the recovery. We'd certainly still focus on the the um, hydration and, and protein straight after the game. Um, straight after the game as well, when we'd play two games a week, that the guys would always do ice baths, um, just just five minutes in the ice bath. Uh, we, when we played one game a week, we didn't do the ice baths. Um, we gave them a, a spell from that, uh, and we um, they would have the next day off. Um, so if we played on a Saturday, they'd have the Sunday off. And even sometimes if we had four or five consecutive weeks of, of two game weeks or three game weeks, I should say, sort of Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, we would would give them two days off. The, the manager would give them the, the uh, Sunday and Monday off and then, then they'd roll in on the Tuesday. So the recovery was just focused on the immediate nutrition and hydration and, uh, and the players uh, were given a little bit more freedom when we had one game weeks. Mm. I know you did a little um, did a little article on Luis Suarez and his his training habits, but did you treat any of the kind of explosive players any differently to to the rest of them? Was it highly individualised that way? Yeah, we did, and and you know sometimes um, sometimes I think just as a general comment, we 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 can get a little bit cute with this type of thing, um, and and in theory it's a really good theory, but in practice. Um, especially in, in a league like the Premier League, it's it's a lot harder to do and harder to implement. You really need to have the manager buy-in, and sometimes that's not always possible. But but fortunately, we we did have that, and and certainly the players. We, we had pro zone stats from each game. Um, every player wore a GPS in every training session, um, plus plus um, uh, some heart rate 
stuff that we we did and a, and a submax test that we did um, periodically so we could see where they were at. So we knew which players were responding to loads really well and and certainly the explosive players were were given a little bit more recovery. So someone like Louise was, um, even though as explosive as he is, um, he he just loved to train. So if I had said to him two days after a game, you can't train, um, uh, I would have had to hide somewhere um, just because his his enthusiasm to train and his determination and willingness to train is is unlike most other guy, you know players I've worked with. So um, we just just kept an eye on him and and took him out of a couple of the more explosive duels when we could. Mm. I mean, turning off my uh, podcast head and putting my football football fan head. What uh, what was Luis Suarez like as a as a trainer from from like a head of head of fitness point of view? A dream. Uh, he was a star, honestly, and and I, he gets a bad reputation for other things, which which uh, I, I won't comment on. But I remember his first training session. And he was demanding the ball and and berating people who didn't give him the ball in the right areas and people who gave the ball away. And I remember walking off the pitch with with Jamie Carragher, you know, 600-game veteran. And uh, uh, after one training session, I won't tell you exactly what he said because there was a little bit of swearing involved, but he just said, I love him. I love him. He's going to be a star. And that was what you got with Louise whether you were playing cards against him or doing a passing drill or or um, you know a training game he just had to win and and uh, he lifted the whole team from that level so he, he was fantastic from from our point of view nice I, I, mean, I know you're coming on to uh, into your preseason with the AFL uh, on Monday tell me through your preparations for preseason yeah it's, it's a bit um it, it's a bit different to what to what a European um, rugby or, or football pre-season is, we, we have uh, about 16 weeks to prepare, um, so it's a long time, um, and uh, the players the players work very hard because it's in the middle of the summer in Australia, so um, our guys will do uh, more or less four on-leg sessions a week in that time, um, and, and it's probably, a, um, every fitness coach out here differs, but, but I, I probably run with a sort of 80-20 or 85-15 principle of of uh, 80% with the ball and in drills and and uh, and and 15 to 20% uh, just just conditioning, just running conditioning. Um, we we also go to Dubai for we've done it for the last two years or year I guess, but it, it, we've sort of booked in for the next few years to to go over there and and uh, take the guys away from this environment and and put them in a camp sort of scenario. So they they work pretty hard. They they train for nine days straight without a without a day off um so they work pretty hard over there so we do that really early on in pre-season to to give the guys a base we, we don't play any games or anything like that just training and then uh um then they come back for a little bit have, have a bit of a break over christmas and then it's probably two months straight into uh straight into the season after that so it's a it's an intense time there's a there's a lot of training going on really high volume high intensity and and uh, yeah, the, the players certainly earn their money during that time. I've read about in the same article. I think read about your brutal, your brutal trip to Dubai. So I'm sure the lads will love that. Um, yeah, look forward to it. <laughs> but obviously, with so much, um, so much work being put in, how do you manage that load during your, obviously such a long preseason? Uh, that, that's really the key. Is is how you actually. Um, how you monitor it and, and when to push and when to pull back and 
And so, you know, we, we monitor the players pretty closely and, and uh, everything for, from their, their GPS to every training session. So, so we know what they're capable of and what they're producing. Um, we use a, we use first beat heart rate stuff, so we, we can we can tell their general level of of stress and as well as their heart rate response to the training. Um, we monitor CK, their jump scores, their uh, um, movement parameters. Uh, our, our strength coach um, Ian McCowan's got a movement screen that he developed as part of his PhD, and so he we we look at that regularly. Uh, we look at physio screening, range of motion stuff, and, and we we do a submax heart rate test every week. So so we keep a pretty close eye on them. Having said that, um, uh, that all sounds nice, and you know it sounds like it's a, a great application of of sports science. But at the end of the day, if if there was a decision to make on a player whether to train or not, um, I'll always err on training them because I think they can probably push themselves a bit harder than what. Than what um, what they and probably what we think they can. So um, we look at it and, and look for outliers, and and we have some, you know, some some pretty nice spreadsheets and things. But at the end of the day, they preseason is designed for them to work hard, and and that's what we try and uh, uh, make them do. Mm. Just just run through your a uh, couple of things that have interested me of late. Your your um, your jump testing, your jump monitoring, and your uh, heart rate recovery runs. Do you want to just give us a bit more information on? The kind of protocols you use, if you can. Yeah, yeah, no problem. We we just do a, a, a simple uh, jump mat um, protocol where we look at flight to contraction, uh, you know, inferred through flight to contact time, uh, and we know what the players are at baseline. So we we just have a look at that um, once a week at the start of the week to see where how they responded to last week's training and whether they'd recovered well enough. Um, we, we do most of our training during the week and have a, a very short early run on a, on a Saturday morning, which generally is some hill running and some repeat speed running. Um, and uh, uh, that's finished sort of by 8 a.m., so they have the rest of the weekend to recover. So on Monday morning, we have a look at, at how, they, um, how they've recovered from, from the previous week. Um, with our heart rate recovery, it's, uh, it's a test that I've, I've kind of been using for about eight or nine years. We're about to publish the validation of it. Um, it's it's uh, four minutes of the yo-yo IR2. Um, so they, they do that and then they, they rest for three minutes standing still and, and we assess their heart rate response to that test. Um, to the workload and then their heart rate um, kinetics over the uh, over the three minutes and and, and really at, at a really basic level and, and that's all we use it for we we look at the heart rate after the three minutes of recovery versus the heart rate after the four minutes of the test and and see how what percentage of recovery they've had and, and I've been using it uh, with the Aussie soccer team with with Liverpool with uh, with Port Adelaide in the AFL and and there's probably another dozen teams uh, around the world that have started to use it not because you know it's the world's greatest test or anything like that just because we've had discussions and it's a nice simple easy way to to assess it's sub max it takes seven minutes so uh, you know four minutes of work and three minutes of rest so coaches love it players like it and uh, and uh, I've tracked it over as I said to you probably eight years and it's it's a really nice test to look at um, readiness to train as well as um, uh, adaptations to your training load. So, with regards to the the jump test, how how much would they have to be down for to, obviously to get flagged up for you to yeah, yeah, look look a bit further into it? 
Good question, and 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 it's uh, it, it, we normally look at some smallest worthwhile changes in guys, so we have um, those sort of statistics running in the background. But if you imagine, generally you need to be at one standard deviation below your average. You know, it ends up being about ten percent below uh, until we start to have a look at it. Generally speaking, if somebody is flagging on one particular variable, um, we might not make any any drastic changes. But if if a combination of jump scores and their their sleep is down and and their their ankle dorsiflexion range is down, then we might start to ask some some serious questions and modify their load. So it's it's if one value is down, we'll, we'll ask a few questions. But if it starts to get more than one, then we'll we'll have a look at it a bit more seriously. So is that a similar thing with the heart rate recovery? The percentages. Yeah, we do. Um, I, I probably look at that a little bit more because it, it's uh, it's a, a really I, f- I find I went away from heart rate for for probably five or six years, but um, having exploring it a lot more in the last few years, I, I, I'm really happy with what it's giving us. Um, we, we do heart rate variability as well most mornings, but I like resting heart rate and heart rate response to a given load, and uh, so I probably look at that in a, in a little bit more detail. And if someone is really down, then then we'll we'll have a look at that, um, and certainly we'll monitor that closely as they're going through the rehab process to see you know, where they are in, in relation to, to what their what their best scores are. Mm, no, that's really good. Um just want to talk about obviously you dis, you um you cover a lot of air miles um in Australia going from, from obviously coast to coast, but um and obviously with the Australian national team going over the all over the world. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview on the strategies you put in place to manage this travel? I know you've discussed it on your webinar with Jason Weber. Um do you want to just give us a little bit of uh, a bit of detail on that? Yeah, we. It, it would depend on the game. So with the Australian soccer team, <clears throat> excuse me, for instance, um, most of our guys were based in Europe. Um, so for a home game, they'd be tra- travelling 24 hours in a plane um, to, to, to get back here. And um, so that presented some problems in terms of time zone. Initially, what we tried to do was was – just inch them back into our time zone. And sometimes you're able to do that because you might have four or five days before the game uh, when they arrive, but sometimes they, they would arrive two days before a game. So um, you just had to work on, on the strategy that, you know, if the game was due for 7 a.m. UK time, then then we had two days to, to turn that 7 a.m. game into maybe a – 11 a.m. game or something a bit more respectable, if you, if you know what I mean, by just adjusting their body clock. So we would often have different meal times and things like that um, for, for some players and, and just encourage them to get outside. Things like melatonin um, to, to help us with that cause. But um, we, we tended to avoid that and, and uh, um, work on their sleeping patterns and their, and their, and their eating patterns. Um, really basic things like always wearing compression on tights, uh, on flights. Uh, um, some guys would prefer using things like Compex and Body Flow. Uh, other guys didn't, but we, we, we encouraged everybody to try that. Um, when they arrived, we, we, we certainly did the submax test, jump scores to see what sort of state they were in. Um, and, and obviously we'd feed that back to the coach. Um, in, in some games, we actually kept them. We, we traveled from, um, 
we had a friendly against Holland and then a World Cup in, in Holland and then a World Cup qualifier four days or three days later in Uzbekistan, which was a, uh, a, a four or five hour time difference. And in that particular occasion, because it was such a massive game for us, the Uzbekistan away game, we kept them in the Holland time zone, in the European time zone. Um, so we were having dinner at you know one a.m. or whatever the, the case may be, and and we just got the hotel to to adjust the lights and things like that on the floor that we were on to to reflect that. So um, so it, there's challenges involved, but they're not they're not insurmountable. And what what I've found is you know, we, we had occasions where guys like uh, let's let's say Tim Cahill who played for Everton um, when when he was with the the Socceroos, he would play for Everton on a Saturday afternoon, arrive in Australia. Um, Sunday or Monday, um, so Sunday night or Monday during the day, he'd play a game for Australia on Tuesday night in Australian time and then fly back and play for Everton on the Saturday. And it, it was just an extraordinary uh, feat. And what you found with Tim in particular is his pro zone scores on either side of the Australian game didn't change. You know, he he was just one of those guys who who could handle the load, and and uh, you know, you soon work out which players you have to work a bit closer with, and which players you can kind of leave them to their own devices because they they know how to do it. And and Tim was certainly one of those guys. So, if I had have interrupted Tim's normal routine with, you know, take this melatonin, have this caffeine, take these sleeping tablets, have, um, you know, I want you to walk around. The, the main streets of Melbourne at midnight to keep yourself awake and all those sorts of things, you know, that, that would have actually had a detrimental effect on his performance because he knew what to do and he knew what to do with his body. So um, we, we treated it on an individual basis, um, but, but we certainly tried a few different remedies to get them in the right time zone as quickly as possible. Mm. And he probably scored the winning goal for both clubs at the time. Exactly right, exactly <coughs> right. So uh, who am I to mess with that sort of routine? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've discussed it a little bit, well, quite a lot actually, um, about uh, strategies to you've employed um, to obviously manage the fatigue in football and later on in the AFL. But what kind of strategies have been um, most efficient for you? Obviously, you've you've mentioned HRV, um, heart recovery. Do you do kind of um, questionnaires? There's so many things to choose from. Um, which have been the most efficient for you? Yeah, one of the, the the heart rate variability works uh, really well. We we find we just use the athlete measurement of a morning, and and because we've got a, a pretty compliant group here, um, just we, we've got forty five on our list, and uh, we would get about a ninety odd percent compliance rate in terms of each morning just coming up and giving us that measurement. Um, so I, I like that measurement. I like the the fact. I think Carl Valley spoke about it in your podcast as well. The resting heart rate also that comes with it is a is a nice uh, excuse me indicator. Um, we do subjective questionnaires twice a week, and they're all online and in, a, in just a seven point questionnaire. And, and I do like that. And and there's a lot of good research about the subjectives and as well as the RPE. Um, I. I I probably go more with the objective stuff. I've got to be honest with you, and and I do all my my load periodization using GPS um, rather than than RPE training load. That's just my preference, and and uh, it's not necessarily a lack of trust in the players because the group that I'm working with now is is uh, is unbelievable in terms of the, the, the trust and their compliance to everything. Um, but but I think that the the subjectives are a conversation starter. Um, and if somebody has got a bad sleep or a bit of soreness, then 
will act on it, obviously, and just say, where's that coming from? But I, my my default go-to is more the objective stuff, um, and that's what I've found works works really well in in um, in managing their fatigue. You know, the the most basic thing that we do is every every fitness session, it, it, every t- uh, training session is a fitness test because uh, we we GPS them so we know their output and we, we get a heart rate so we know what that costs them. And if, if one of those is out of whack with the other, then we know that there's an issue and we'll go and investigate. So it's a, it's a really simple formula, but it's one that, that I found works really well. It's just a simple ex, external to internal load ratio. And, and uh, um, yeah, we, 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 we do some, some nice things and we, we've got a PhD student here who runs our sports science department who's doing some amazing things with fitness and fatigue modelling um, the, the likes of which I haven't seen before, and, and we certainly use that as well. Um, but a, at, at its really basic level, uh, what did you do in that session, and what did it cost you? Hmm. So, what about the other ten percent that don't do the HRV to get their ass kicked? They do, um, <laughs> nice. and fortunately, I've got a coach who, uh, you know, in, in in UK soccer terms, a manager who um, who will kick their ass as well. So, um, and the players, in fact players drive it um yeah. as much as anybody it's a, it's a good group that way for sure mm. no just last but not least i just want to talk about your the product you've got out with uh with jason weber just want to tell us a little bit about it yeah i guess well um jason jason's an outstanding practitioner in the field and a fantastic fitness coach and and it was sort of more his idea he he and I often talk about how we're we're sick of reading research that has nothing to do with what we're doing at the coalface um there's no research papers that discuss how you how you recover a team from a Thursday night game to a Sunday game Thursday night in Istanbul to Sunday in Manchester it just doesn't happen um, if, if you read the research, you would say you can't do it. You can't possibly play in that game, but we know it happens. You know, if you read the research about um, jumping and plyometrics, they would say that you should only do it, you know, every second or third day, um, whereas LeBron James does it every night. Hmm. Um, it, it, you know, so we, we were kind of sick of um, not getting enough applied stuff and, and thinking that we, we should probably do something about it. So we came up with the idea to produce a, a 20-part sort of webinar series and it's basically Jason and I um, doing a short presentation on a topic. So let's say it's recovery and then he's in Perth, I'm in Adelaide having a having a chat with our with our Skype headphones on, um, and our and our cameras looking on. Cool. Um, looking cool. Yeah, look, <laughs> looking cool. Looking cool. That's important. Um, yeah, and having a discussion about it, and just saying exactly what you and I are doing here, Rob. Just saying, you know, what do we do? How do we do it? We don't. We don't bullshit. Excuse my French. We don't say. We don't hide anything, and so we better not tell people that because then they might use it and and see what our secrets are. We we tell them everything, and and then say, you know do your best you can take something out of it or you can't and and we've we've so far we've we've done three or four and we've got another 15 to go so it's a but we're covering everything from strength to rehab to monitoring to data presentation to coaches to dealing with egos to dealing with travel to uh, running technique to everything that that we we might may or may not have learned about it across you know across we've got a combination of about 40 years experience in the industry so um that, that's basically what it is, and, and hopefully people get something out of it. So the all the webinars live, or can people kind of back, backdate it? 
Yeah, they can backdate it. Um, uh, we'll we'll do one. We've sort of se- separated into to four blocks of five series of webinars each, and one of those webinars will be just a live question and answer, so people can log on and say, you know, I don't believe in your heart rate recovery test, Burjo. Um, it's crap um, for these reasons. What do you think about that? And then we can just have a discussion about it. Nice. Um, so, uh, so there's four topics and then one sort of uh, question and answer, I guess. Um, but they're, they're, they're not always live because we've got some guys who subscribe from America, from the UK, from Australia. So it's pretty hard to get a get a good time zone. But certainly one will be live. Mm. So obviously, guys, get all the the PDFs and things like that from your presentation. That's, that's exactly right. Exactly cool. right. And and they can download the the when they subscribe, they can download the videos, um, and and they too can go and buy the cool Skype headphones that we've got. Nice. Um, and and uh, yeah, yeah, they they can have a look at what we what we're doing as well. Should be on commission for these Skype headphones. Exactly right. I hope Skype are there's listening little, to this. There's a little business exactly there. Right. It's a little side side <laughs> take. Sure. <laughs> so, where can people um, where can people find out more about that about your product? Uh, if they they uh, look up Old Bull Fitness, so that's Old B U double L is in the animal fitness. That's that's Jason's website, and it's all through there. They can they can follow myself or Jason Weber on Twitter. I'm just uh, at Darren Burgess twenty five on on Twitter, and and Jason is at Old Bull Fitness, and uh, and yeah, we, we, we talk about it a little bit on there. Um, people can contact me at any time if they have any questions. I, um, I know what it was like to be sort of young and in the industry and just reading textbooks and research articles. So, um, uh, and I had, I had probably half a dozen people who I looked up to just ignore emails and, and letters even at that stage. Um, so uh, I, I try and uh, help anybody out who has any, any questions. They might not, but just in case they did. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to answer anything they might have. So the best place to get you on Twitter, yeah? Yeah, that's probably the best place yeah, for sure. Cool. No, that's that's brilliant. I've kept you for half an hour. I know it's uh, early doors. It's been da- it's quarter to ten here, but it's been dark since about two o'clock in the afternoon. So <laughs> um, I sympathise <laughs> with you. It's going to be it's going to be a horrible thirty-two degrees this afternoon for you. So exactly right. Well, it has been light since about five thirty this morning. So uh, you know, there, there's some downsides to it. But you're taking we'll the take it. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, uh, I'll round it up there, wrap it up there, and I will just thank you for your time. Thank you for the half an hour you've given. Uh, really appreciate it and some really good content as well. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's it. Thank you very much, and I will I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Rob. Cheers, mate. Okay, mate. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for checking out the Pace Performance Podcast. I hope you'll agree it was a really good episode with Darren. Keep a lookout for the research that he's got coming out re- with regards to heart rate recovery. Just a little quick message to say if you are interested in keeping up to date with everything that's going on the podcast, give me a follow on Twitter at Pacey Perform. You can also check out the previous episodes of the podcast on paceyperformance.co.uk. And I will see you in the next episode.